that sound which (laughs) means we are uh, about to record another conversation in the dissect podcast studio we're actually in the studio today where it's the space heater has (laughs) made it tolerable (laughs) i was about to say make it bearable (laughs) it was nippy this morning yeah okay are we just cheap asses and refuse to heat the building or are we conservationists you're green. (laughs) I i got i still got the cardigan that i used to wear in the carter era (laughs) (laughs) if if you're old enough to remember jimmy carter wore a cardigan and kept the thermostat at 68 degrees so warm yeah that'd be super warm you can do that if you're from the south yeah yeah exactly i think that's like 13 degrees warmer than we keep it i believe he was also responsible for the 55 mile an hour speed limit which didn't go over as well son of a bitch cardigan yeah I think Montana was actually the first state to break that law, basically saying, yeah, you can only get, it's a national speed limit, but if you get caught here, it's a $5 fine, and you just put the ticket on the dashboard, and we can only give you one a day. Because they're like, our six police officers in the state of Montana won't be able to find you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and if and if you have to drive less than 55 miles an hour everywhere you go in Montana, you'll never get anywhere. No. It'd be like Texas. Cool. It's a 15-hour drive to get across the state. <laughs> yeah. That's why I figure in Washington, they make you crawl out of Washington or mm-hmm. Oregon. It's it's humiliating. It's like 55. <laughs> it's like I can't get Well, that's out of- what you can handle in your VW bus. <laughs> <laughs> it was an applicable speed limit for the yeah. types of vehicles that were in. Biodiesel-fueled. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I s- <laughs> Running on oh, man. corn okay, oil. Okay, so if... <laughs> If that's total hippie style, if you converted a VW bus to run on fucking vegetable oil, man, you are flying the flag right there. Solar, that's a, solar roof. Yeah. Which tie dye headband. It, that, well. On the surface, it would be. But in reality, it would be a worse strain on the economy and the environment. Corn oil is one of the worst fuels, but they're subsidized. So that's why we have it. So you could fly a Pantera flag and just get all your oil from McDonald's and really screw with the hippies. (laughs) (laughs) Fly a Pantera flag. (laughs) Yeah, I think you could. It would be... You would drive people nuts. Yeah. Play nothing but the album... Yeah. Was it Cowboys, Cowboys from, from Hell? Hell? Yeah. yeah. In album. your matte black VW bus. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, today in the studio, Michael's here. I'm here. And we have a guest, Trevor Thompson. Thank you. Uh, welcome. And we've... <clears throat> it's the first time we've actually ever met. Yep. Um, and But we have a ton of mutual friends. Yes. And mostly it's, you know... Uh, people who have served in the Navy mm-hmm. and um, generally, f- you know, tied more tightly together by uh, people who jump, you know, the, the group gets gets <laughs> who, smaller because it's people who jump off of stuff. Who willfully abuse gravity. <laughs> yes, exactly. Nice. <laughs> or enjoy gravity. Yeah. Which is. Only like to hike <laughs> one way. Yeah, exactly. A bunch of one way hikers. <laughs> 
The downhill that's, hiking is very hard on the knees. Yeah. See, it's yeah. it's like you're you're looking ahead. You're you're doing what I wished I had done so that I didn't all those miles didn't fuck me up. And we're eco conscious because we only go trail one way. Yeah. <laughs> Low impact. Yeah. I mean lower well, impact on the trail. We've been yeah. trying to say that to the NPS for a long time and it just isn't working. It's like we <laughs> Yeah, they're they're they don't seem to believe us. Yeah, you're still delivering a package. Yeah, inside the park. My, my package. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's for for me. It's always been kind of funny having you know been a climber and and but been peripherally around base jumping guys. Either having you know when I was living in France and working on move you know action kind of movies and you know if you're what you know obviously climbing up isn't enough. Yeah, you know. So no, I mean I remember there was a, a one of. Um, John Krakauer's first articles about um, for for Outside Magazine was about you know trip in Chamonix and how um, he had run into someone in the bar afterwards and and it's like well uh, what did you climb today and it's like oh we climbed the Grand Cap Grand Capucin he goes oh did you base jump off and he said no no we we used the rope and rappelled down the guy said oh how banal <laughs> you know, and I was just like oh my god okay this is truly the place uh, oh you uh, peasant yeah exactly how dare you yeah you're you trust those anchors you should just jump <laughs> oh, whatever not with that equipment back then well you know guys were guys were doing it and and I mean and, and there were a number there were some fatal I mean I'm trying to think of as far as base jump fatalities in that crew the big one, you know, Jean-Marc Boivin was the big one, mm. jumping off Angel. Um, but that was after uh, his partner jumped and gotten hurt, and then he went uh, yeah. afterwards and uh, ended up in the trees somehow and, like, bled out from a yeah. uh, femoral artery, I think, was oh. what happened. Um, well, in that era, but, like, Patrick died skydiving. De Gaillardon? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so there were some ancillary deaths that, could have been base jumper deaths, yeah, but ended up not being. Yeah, he was actually skydiving, although yeah. he was a you know base, sort of pioneering base jumper, as was Eric Frede and and Beauval. Um Yeah, and, I mean, and and Dominique Glaz was around that time also, and jumped a lot of, and we filmed him jumping a lot of cool stuff. So I've seen it, never been interested, always been kind of curious about the psychology. Yeah, and now I there's just, a lot of like just tip touching Venn diagram stuff with climbing, extreme skiing and jumping. Cause it all kind of happens in the same place. They right? do. They all happen share, above the tree line. Share type the territory. And you, and, and it's also the kind of thing where you're like, Oh yeah, I spent a bunch of time in Chamonix and we were jumping. I'm like, yes, there's good jumping there. And, oh, yep. and the Brenta group and the Dolomites. Yes, there's great. And it's, it's there. And I mm -hmm. think about the Brenta group. I'm like, Oh yeah. Well, climbing area or exactly. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you look at a sheer face, something that is beautiful to climb is probably beautiful to jump. Exactly. Hence Yosemite. Oh, yeah. Illegal. Oh. I know. I was going to say, like, <laughs> have you jumped Yosemite? But don't answer that. Uh, I mean, least... I would love to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's some tall. You could you get some good time there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if only. <laughs> if, uh, yeah, off if the El MPS Cap? is lifting, listening, uh, we would love to do that. Please offer us the opportunity. P please please offer us the happen. opportunity. Like one day a year? Yeah, kind of you know, like bridge day, like all the other hang gliders and paragliders that you let do. Well, that. wouldn't now be the time to go with a government shutdown? Oh my! Is that the? It's not illegal if you don't get caught. That's the. Premise. There's no rangers to catch you because they just, they're just don't let off. them chase you into the river. Yeah, yeah, I guess, because I hear really people though. die that way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, we're here for your own safety. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that one's dead. <laughs> Stop! I'm trying to protect you. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man i'm wondering if i, I mean this is sad, like there's just this thing i i immediately imagined that he was a black base jumper because the cops killed him like I, it was just like it goes <laughs> in, I'm, I'm not joking that was just in my head that's how normal that subject has become is like cops run somebody into a river i'm like oh he obviously yeah that's must a have terrible been, association background yeah, yeah it's a terrible association but that's literally the first thing that goes into my head is that fair probably not especially because they're not real cops Ooh, and there, oh, are, and no, a, and there, there aren't that many well, right they're worse because they're federal right they have been through the <laughs> oh, jesus let's see fletzy federal law enforcement training so yeah fletzy. when did they switch over because they didn't they weren't armed until the late 90s oh no that's not true oh okay no because were, My dad was a cop in Yosemite. And he was armed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh okay. Oh, to, he loved it. To protect you from yourself. Yeah. In the place that yeah. they don't allow weapons. <laughs> well, you know, think about sort of that time frame, this, you know, the early 60s, Yosemite, uh, close yeah. to the Bay Area. Totally and different. So they, yeah, they would, yeah. <clears throat> they, and hippies. they were, those filthy hippies. They would come up and get, but it was more, um, it was less the VW bus crew than the motorcycle crews. Yeah. yeah. That would come up. That they Sundowners would, and... What are, I think they yeah. had different names. Yeah. What what are the uh, you know, one hell. percenters, don't they? Or <laughs> don't call them one percenters? I think so. Yeah. That they're I, I could see that. Uh, there's some weird shit that happens there, but you know. It's California. It's yeah. California. Exactly. And it's close to the Bay Area. I and think there was a riot in Yosemite in the sixties, right? I there was God, where do you assemble? <laughs> Pardon? The meadow? Yeah. In the meadow. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think we're gonna riot in the meadow. Yeah. <laughs> I believe in the meadow, <laughs> but I think they were there just, you know, free loving it and being all hippie and, you know, smoking ganja. And then, some, and then they came and broke it up with tear gas and made it a violent <laughs> escapade. <laughs> so some, like, some guys wearing Smokey the Bear hats, carrying sticks, waded into a crowd of people who were just having a nice time in the field. I, it's uh, really hard for me to imagine somebody high. But they were breaking the law, you know, sure. I must say. For sure, but somebody getting violent while intoxicated with some kind of cannabis substance doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I mean, if you you know if you look at the statistics and you round it off, it's probably about zero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man. Use the rule of large numbers, and then there's literally nothing to yeah, do with that. Exactly. Um, that's an interesting place, Yosemite. Um, if you haven't seen Valley Uprising, I have. Fuck, it's so good. <clears throat> I've watched it five times now. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, it, it really is well done. Um, and then that led in uh, Tommy's thing, the Don Wall. Again, yeah. They all kind of link. And then Free Solo is also mm -hmm. very good. Yeah. I haven't seen Free Solo. I've seen the Don Wall. Okay. And watched Meru a couple times. Yeah. Those are all really They're all good films. intensely incredible for <laughs> different reasons. That's kind of funny. Yeah. It, I've seen Valley Uprising, but none of the... Like, I... I <clears throat> having come from that mm. sort of background... <sighs> I just don't like watching it. Well, it's probably like and you it's not watching it, something on, you know, SEAL Team 6. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, or, you mean my pastime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and book writing. Like when you're, yeah. when you're so close to a subject, you know how off they are, which yeah. speaks to something about like basic journalism, mm -hmm. um, about if you actually know about a subject, how fucking retarded the mainstream oh. gets the version of it. Like, it, for instance, uh, we were just published as the seventh out of 50 best fitness podcasts on men's health australia and uk let's just talk about fitness for once right now Wait, 
fitness. Okay, okay we're done. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> What's hilarious about that is they <clears throat> described us and uh, about our. I don't disdain for fitnessing Two white males. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, no, they described four. it with four. <laughs> we were four white males. We were four. <laughs> and they also attributed some things that are just completely false, mm. such as Mark starting the gym, the sect, which is completely untrue. <laughs> um, I just found it like uh, they didn't ask. Like we're right here. Oh, they just, no, they just wrote oh. it. Like they didn't want, I think, you know, maybe they wanted to be a surprise or something, but there was no like, Hey, tell us about yourself. They just took bits from maybe whatever they could find, which is the internet, which is inaccurate. But it's super hard to get in touch with people now. <laughs> you think well it is hard to get in touch with me sure no actually it's not i've been I'm no because a, I, they just write me and i ask you from across the desk and exactly then like, hey, <laughs> what's this so i can see like i watch like and I, this is my selfishness like um it is not healthy for special operations community to have things published about them because it infringes on your ability to quote unquote operate but I'm still selfish and I like to know about it because it's kind of a geeky thing but I know everything that I watch is so fucking far from the truth I don't know what you're talking about it's exactly like that <laughs> it's, just, it's just like SEAL Team yeah. on TV it's just like that switching to thermal yeah <laughs> <laughs> no but let's go back to the climbing the yeah. thing that stopped me watching climbing movies was watching Touching the Void back in the day when it came out ah because it was the most sickeningly real fucked up. Like, oh, yeah, that. That's I mean, pretty accurate. <clears throat> and and Joe Simpson, was a I mean, he's a fuck up. But um, <laughs> <laughs> well, and for me, the, like the thing that tied together uh, Don Wall mm -hmm. and um, Meru was Jimmy Chin's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for me, I was looking at it from the videography oh, side. Oh, no shit. The, cl yeah. the climbing specifically <clears throat> is, is interesting in so much as what's going on but it's yeah. a backdrop for what he was able to for a, a man practicing his that, art that was what was really interesting to me was and that the, as, and a, the, as opposed to the human story that was happening mm. as as his canvas yeah and but i also think like it, the, the the um you know the uh, not, not to discredit there's the, no crazy thing that they right. did on the shark's fin yeah <laughs> holy crap and, and kept going back and kept going <sighs> back i mean that yeah um but that and and then that goes to the sort of free solo thing where you're just like okay you get one chance to yeah shoot yeah. this because it's not like hey could you do that move again i missed it you don't get to say that as a like as a filmmaker. Hey, in that Alex, situation. can you back up? <laughs> Down climb, just a oh. little. You know, because so just and and, to, and Jimmy's actually the like, guy that I would love to to, to chat with um, on the podcast just be, be, just because of that. From where so he start. I can't. We're probably ten years apart. He sort of got involved with North Face and going on a bunch of those trips um, back when I was still active and he was young and this and that and. And and uh, and now, I mean, it's like to be able to be the go to be that guy, the go-to guy. Mm, okay, yeah. you, you want something shot in the mountains? Okay, it's him and Renan. Mm -hmm. Those are you know that's you're basically let's the, put them together. Let's let's put them together and do something cool. Yeah. Um, but for for him to be to and just how diverse his skill is to be on top of Everest with Kit when she skied off. Yeah. To also you know ski off and. 
we'll cover that with the camera <laughs> to you know to do the Don Wall thing to be, to go to Antarctica to do I mean the, he is a fucking badass it, human being it's and, no bullshit to get to the point where you have either a mastery or a near mastery of a multitude of skills and yeah. then to be able to put yourself in that scenario as well as being somebody that is trustworthy when it gets shitty yeah that you can that you're not outside the team yeah. when the shit goes down that you're in it yeah yeah logistically just thinking about okay I want like his art is you know video yeah I need to capture the best people in the world therefore I need to be actually best. I need to be slightly better than them because <laughs> I need to be ahead or you yeah. know obviously on the Don wall or the free solo thing he can rappel down El cap but you're still talking about guys with the kind of experience in that environment that it's not a normal job. Like you're talking about yeah. <laughs> the best climbers in the world that are filming now a best climber in the world or whatever and, the given And the scenario. same thing happens with wingsuit with base wingsuit. jumping. Yeah. Um, Ludo, who died wingsuit base jumping, was regarded as one of the best wingsuit base jumpers, but you never saw video of him ever. Because he was the and one with you the think, video camera. You think none of this shit that looks really cool is POV. Yeah. It's mm. all third person back yeah there's a dude focusing on that dude not focusing on everything that's going on because <laughs> he has enough skill and wherewithal to understand what's happening yeah at 120 miles an hour that close to that shit and fly himself as well as keep him in frame yeah and not just keep him in frame move around oh this would look cool with that yeah background. If a little bit off ooh, the, ooh, yeah. ooh, let me put the lake right there i never thought about that expression of terminal velocity with a highlight on the word terminal yeah, I mean it's and it's and and to be you know, uh, let's see, so good in the air, yeah, that you have the extra margin to see the different angles yes. that could be potent, it could be yeah. possible. I mean, when we, oh, yeah, so ninety thousands of hours, two, I guess, was the first trip. Um, well, was it when we we were making the the thirty five mil version of Pushing the Limits, that movie, and we were uh, in Bolivia and. Uh, um, Francois Ricard, who was our cameraman, we were so it was Laurent Bouquet, who was like the guy who's he was he along with the guy Ardone, but B Laurent Bouquet first is you know did the sky surf thing, like he actually stood on the yeah. that thing, he's like the first guy. Um, and he and Eric Frede, but I mean, no. Frede was a you know, Equipe de France parachute team mm -hmm. kind of guy, so we were filming those two guys there, Francois was. Um, and he'd been with us on a bunch of pilots and that kind of thing. I mean, a, and a really good guy, but it was back in the, in, I think 92, what's on your helmet. Mm -hmm. So, um, there's a, there's a still camera, um, and a video camera for reference, but then the 35 mil film camera, which is, uh, basically a high speed old world war two era, like wind up aerial camera oh my God. thing. So he's got those three cameras strapped to his helmet and no quick release buckle. It's okay. It's just 20 pounds. Yeah. yeah what the, what uh, the fuck is on your head? No, it's like amazing to see that this, okay, this guy is actually jumping and then he's got the little ring sort of viewfinder yep. that if I keep him in the ring in front of my eye, then, then filming. Also, also you know. from World War II. Yes. What the fuck? And no, it's, I mean, it's absolutely crazy. And the, and, and you know, unfortunately there, I mean, and the, the etiquette at the time is like the cameraman doesn't pull until the subject pulls. It's similar still. Okay. So that ethic is, is yeah. So you, you get drawn into the shot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is, <laughs> which means you're opening lower, which means you're trusting the other guy to, cause you're not, if you're filming, you're flying, you're not checking your altimeter all the time. It's possibly killed a couple people. 
It killed Base jumping. It killed him. Yeah. And I, mean, there, I, I know that there are a couple scenarios and like, I, I just don't want to throw names out there, but there yeah. are people that probably died because they were focused, in the shot. focused, 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 focused. And then they see whap. Yeah. You know, and they have no, there's no time. There's no time. Yeah. There's nothing. I mean, when, so in Lake Titicaca, the, I mean, we had filmed one day and we went back the next day and then, um, and so they, uh, Francois and Eric jumped out. We had a, a llama helicopter actually, so they could get up because the because the um, <clears throat> Lake Titicaca is at whatever twelve thousand feet. Oh so God. you need to. So there's your there's your there's your landing yeah. zone. Yeah. Holy crap. <laughs> um. And so, so then you got to go go higher. And we, we had a uh, they were a couple times they jumped from a from a casa that the Bolivian Air Force had mm. that we had a relationship with. Um. But this day was a they were jumping from a llama, and uh, um. Yeah, jumped out, and so Francois filming. He's not going to open, not going to open, not going to open. But the while the and it takes a while for a llama to get up to you know six thousand meters or starting whatever. at twelve, starting at twelve. So, um, and they had they were going to supposed to land inland a little bit. Wind kicked up while they were going up, but as it does, as it does, doesn't yeah. you know? But you don't know that. No. So they they exit over the LZ, but they get blown out over the lake. Mm. And uh, Friday, you know, eventually opens and probably 1,200 feet above the water. <sighs> and he made the correct turn and headed for this peninsula where we were with a safety crew and a boat and that kind of stuff, just in case, even though they're supposed to land like a mile and a half away. Um, so he turns, he lands about 80 meters offshore. And there's a fisherman with a canoe paddled out to him, got him. And... Um, Francois opened and turned towards the LZ, but that was a K away. And so he went into the lake yeah. um, with all that shit on his head and stayed on the minute. It's all captured on film, stayed on the surface for a minute and 22 seconds before he went under. And there was a, one of the, you know, the safety guys, a Bolivian guy with the boat. He was, we didn't have anybody on the boat. They were all on the beach. And so yeah. the Bolivian guy sees this going down. He, start, he heads out. Guys call him back so he can get more people on the boat. And they get out to him. One guy jumped off, got in the water, and got, basically got a hand on the canopy as it went down, but couldn't do anything about it. And yeah, I mean, if you haven't pulled a canopy or wet fabric out of water, then yeah. that's a uh, that's a new experience for you. Yeah, it, it's impossible. It's it's like pulling something out of wet concrete. It's not happening. Yeah, and then he um, the the lake gave up the body three months later. Yeah. Whoa. Well, and as we talked, like yeah. the water's something scary. It's something different. Uh, I mean, I, I had, I had a no shit near drowning while training in Hawaii. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I got, we were doing some nighttime up and down drills in our 40 foot pool that we have out there to train in. And, um, so it was at night and then it was in a high bay that we had closed all the doors and shut all the lights off so that we had to be on night vision. Okay. So kind of a cool way to simulate coming out of the water in pitch black and, um, we were derigging all of our stuff and then the boat was going down to the bottom. I derigged and something hooked around me at somewhere. Let off my mouthpiece and I got drug under. Oh. Everybody else. And you let off your mouthpiece mm. and I'm not taking a big old breath because I'm not trying to do a breath hold. Yeah. That's not the goal here. I'm, I'm swimming the one meter to the concrete edge of the pool to get out. Right. Oh. And, uh, you know, I can't see shit. It's dark. And I had like the chicken necking, 
world starting to close in, but I'm looking for a scuba regulator, something, you yeah. know, 40 feet down under there. And I'm like starting to suck in a little bit of water. And it was blind luck that the safety diver happened to see not enough people on the surface and thought that I had got drug oh. and went down. And he somehow found me in that mess of crap that was attached to the boat, just kind of dangling all over the place. Whoa. Sticks a regulator in my mouth and I get to the surface and I'm coughing up water and it was, I was that close. I'm like, this is how this fucking ends. Like, okay, like try and find a scuba regulator or you're going to die in a pool. In a, yeah. <laughs> See, in, it never. In, in a, a fucking pool. Like, <clears throat> and that's like, that's the typical climbing accident. People don't get it. They, they, they it don't doesn't, understand. It doesn't happen on the cool shit. It happens mm. when there's a, you know, I mean, sometimes it does. You're, you know, on the biggest route of your yeah. life and this and that, and it's awesome, and then something goes bad. But but generally, it's like, oh, yeah, standing at the edge of the crag, tripped and fell, yeah. you know, or on an easy slab route and, you know, got stung by a bee. Or, it, I mean, just like a ridiculous... And, and like, Alex Honnold talks about that, that he's a, a little bit perturbed that um, they mention free climbers yeah. all die climbing, free climbing, right? And he's yeah. like, well, they, they all die either in other scenarios or climbing something really easy, easy that yeah. they weren't thinking about. Yeah. And you also have to think like hard enough to kill you, but easy yeah. enough to not get to you to not pay think it, to not, yeah. yeah, to, to, it, to be somewhat complacent in a way yeah. or not, or not present. Yeah. And not, not there, you know, and sometimes it's just bad luck. If you're doing something that requires a huge amount of skill or yeah. is going to take a lot of risk to perform like the stuff that we're doing out, like that I was doing at the team at some point you're going to be, training in a scenario that requires a 90% effort. Like, I'm sorry, but that's just fucking reality. And people don't necessarily want to hear how dark that can be, but mm. there are training desks because we need to train that hard. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you want the thing done. You're, you're, that's, that's what, they're, that's what they're selecting for. Exactly. We want, you need to be prepared to do this thing. Well, yeah. I guess we will need to do the thing before we go do the thing and, and not just do the thing, do the thing 500 times, you know, Yeah, it, it has to happen. Well, it seems there's this, um, th th there's something here. I mean, obviously we're crossing paths between base jumping and free diving and, you know, soloing and, you know, extreme alpinism. Mm. The, these things are related, not just because of the mountains or the water, they all kind of have this, um, well, they all have an experience attached to them. I think that's what Free Solo really touched on mm. was uh, if you were paying attention and not just like gripping your seat because it's fucking nerve wracking. But they kind of, I mean, I think they captured it if you were listening, but he really talked about not wanting to mess this up for his experience. Yeah. Because that was the actual, it wasn't to make a movie. It was so he could have this experience. And it was kind of interesting how... Um, selfish all of these things are and they all have kind of these ingredients involved into them and i think a lot of people look at you know extreme sports or things that have uh, a high death toll to them as you know something that is uh, i guess what you said irresponsible to take part in people don't participate in a lot of activities by and large that are high consequence do you think that i mean physically or emotionally they just don't do you, th I mean, and I would agree, but don't you think that's to the detriment of our like society? Absolutely. I just, <laughs> if there's a large gap between 
being able to describe to somebody that before the age of 30, I've put a half dozen friends in the ground personally mm. and no two dozen 30 that have died it, from base jumping to being in the teams. Right. I would never take that back. I, I wouldn't change a thing. Would I like them to still be here? Yeah, absolutely. Would I change who I am now? No, that's a shaping piece of my personality. Mm. And I think that I can deal with normal life way better. Mm. You know, normal, whatever, that, whatever, whatever, that whatever. Yeah. Normal is, I mean, I th- and it, it's, it, this is a, see, I think, you know, Michael, you were where I thought you were headed was, you know, yes, there's an, ex- you were said, yeah, the, the thing that ties all these together is there's like a very serious experience that goes with each of them. And I was just going like, oh, the thing that ties all this stuff together is like, that is the writ is the consequence mm-hmm. yeah. and the, and, and that consequences, um, enforce right action. Yeah. More so than, you know, you don't get a, like there's, you know, sometimes there are no do overs, mm-hmm. you know, there's, it's not like, oh no, just reload, you know, mm-hmm. or put another quarter in the machine or whatever. It's like, <laughs> no, you're in the, you're in the ground and, and, <clears throat> and to, to, to be around that consequence for a long time. I mean, this is kind of what this book that we're printing, but Monday, yeah. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> um, it, it's it's all about you know the it it for me it's like okay, coming down. Like sooner or later, if 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 you're a climber and you survive, you have to come down. Yeah, right. Eventually, and then if on the long timeline, I came down from the mountains, I had to fucking figure it out down here, or I wasn't gonna yeah make it. Like the and and. So living with that consequence enforced this, like I come down to the valley and I'm just like, oh, this shit's totally trivial and this is boring. And, you know, you're all useless wastes of skin because, it's, you know, I'm coming from that edge or yeah. whatever. And then realize like, oh, I'm down here now. Yeah. This is the bulk. This is the bulk of my actual experience. It is. It, yeah. The bulk of the experience. But now I'm okay. I'm, I, I don't go up there anymore. I don't I don't yeah. participate in those activities anymore. And now I have to find my way down here and find satisfaction down here. So I, I do think that I'm, you know, on, on the one hand, I'm better prepared because of those experiences, because of having to, dealt with that consequence and the sheer number of people who are in the ground um, who were friends. Like I, there's part of that that helps me deal with life more readily, more easily, yeah. but it also prevents me from that. Like it's, like it's a fucked up way to look you know to come back and look at the world and and assign value based on shit that isn't you know consequences that don't necessarily exist for me anymore because i'm not participating in the activity but i'm but for the first many many years i still like treated stuff in a in that very black and white way yeah and i know my parents have said that i've relaxed my perspective on reality um (laughs) Because for a long time, I was hyper black and white. I mean, I, w- I was 21 and in the teams and deploying and base jumping. But, but I, I would like to <laughs> touch. My life ba- was fire and brimstone. Yeah. The consequence thing is that because I was meandering about and writing these ingredient lists, which doesn't really mean anything, but we've all, we've already touched pretty much everything in there. And I, the one thing um, is kind of peculiar to all these things. It, like they all require, require uh, like an almost insane amount of skill for a buy-in into the risk yes. and that's what people miss is that like 
there's this sort of preparation. It's not just like step out and take a chance. It's not gambling, right? You are. Yeah. It's not you know, hold my beer. And, and what's yeah. in, and what's interesting is so coming and thinking about base jumping specifically, the people that do it for a long time, a lot of them, a lot of those people, myself included, are trying to create a space where there's an even bigger buy-in. Like I don't mm-hmm. just want to go jump a cliff mm-hmm. now that you can drive to the top of. No, no. Now I've spoken to friends about going to the Karakoram and climbing and jumping, you know, there, there's a bigger risk there, but there's also a bigger reward mm. in the experience. Like the, the, the jumping and the flying down is a minute worth of reality, but it's the entire piece and the whole buy-in of a thing that there's it's a one it's an end of one experience Mm. so how would um i'm trying to think who made the move the the first guys to base to exit off trango oh (laughs) um it seemed like that you know there was less air to push on and there is and uh some tumbling which happened for a little bit if i recall that and that god i can't remember his name right now i think um, but uh, that happened to a guy who is a high altitude jumper, and he was jumping in the Himalayas, and that oh. happened. Yeah. A minor, yeah. a minor mistake up there, which would be sort of inconsequential in right. Lauterbrunnen or off the Eiger. Right. At eighteen thousand feet, is gigantic because the air density. Yep. Change. Okay. It's fatal. That well, and that's what a lot of this stuff. No matter what activity you pick, you're you're looking at having access to an experience that other people don't have access to, and and you're willing to risk in order to get that experience. Yeah, which I think a lot of people might not see because they're so, um, I don't know, maybe they're just overly concerned with security, being safe, being uh, that maybe that's a normal human condition from you know evolution, like a like a carryover is that we're life is dangerous without civilization. Therefore we're overly concerned with, with safety, but now we have security theater. I think I've heard it referred to it. Like TSA is a perfect fucking example. Like we have this presence, you know, that makes us feel safe, but they in fact do nothing for actual safety. But the feelings of safety are very important to us. So therefore we pay billions of dollars for this fucking organization that does next to nothing. Other people do, like there's other agencies that stop terrorism or stop bad things from happening. TSA is not one of them. Yeah. There's not one occurrence where they have stopped a terrorist. Like that's a-, like that's but, a I, but I think, that, I mean, I think that's an interest, a, a nice sort of way to look at it is that, okay, we have the, you know the the appearance of safety mm. even outside of that i mean that's a that's a we could joke all day long about the, the you know tsa being the tip of the spear mm. but um <laughs> <laughs> but but i think there's like that that presence you know the, the uh, you know the appearance of safety elsewhere mm. where oh i go to i mean if we could since I was down in Moab this week, you know i can like refer to that and go oh yeah. i can walk to this spot and there's a railing mm-hmm. and that you know, that's the appearance of safety. But if you're out there this time of year, and as we were noting, it was pretty fucking cold, but the sun was out, and so snow's melting, and then it's icy, and then this and that, and the railing doesn't fucking... No, doesn't do shit. Doesn't do shit. And in fact, it's going to be the place where there is no railing, Mm -hmm. you know, where because it's totally safe if it's not slippery. Yep. Or you're, you know, paying attention. But And the the idea of like, yeah, I want to give people 
access to these observation points, if you will, or, or sort of limited access to this stuff so that people who don't have the skill to be in this situation can kind of, um, you know, be, Dilettante voy- their be voyeurs. Way. Be voyeurs, yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm. And, and experience voyeurs. I want to go watch a person do a scary thing. I don't want to. I don't want to actually do <laughs> actually it myself. Do well, yeah, welcome but, to NFL. Like sitting oh, on the couch and watching big men crash into each other. Or no, no, no. Let me. I, what I, actually, what I really want to do is kind of like base jumping. Bungee jumping. Yes. I was gonna say Ninja Warrior. <laughs> Ninja Warrior. <down laughs> no. I, Scre- I mean, scream, I, scream parkour. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we jump through the office. <laughs> I, I do think like. <laughs> on the on where you like talking about the railing and the in the safety and pose kind of where I was, uh, you can find um, security theater everywhere. But oh, yeah, in these experiences, you're trying to remove all of the theater, uh, get rid of all the perceptions of safety, and then control the safety. Like you are the safety. Yeah, my it, skill is the safety. My your, ability your, is yes. the safety. I want to be the mitigating factor in what's going on, and the only thing that I can't control are literal things that I cannot control, like the fucking weather. And this is the part right. where I think is terrifying that when people put up these, you know, whatever the 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 the, the thing is that blankets our feelings of safety, whether it's a TSA or it's a helmet or you know railing. It is terrifying to think about, you know, that those things actually don't protect you. Like your seatbelt is a perfect example. Like, yeah, it mitigates some of the thing, but a semi hitting you just veering off 15 degrees and hitting you at 60 miles an hour. And that can happen any time of the day. And it does happen. But people don't have this perception of how dangerous driving is or how dangerous riding a bike is. And the helmet does fucking nothing like <laughs> it really does like it, it's all the studies on helmets make it actually worse but we put it I on mean, especially skiing and snowboarding exactly because, because people get that sense mm-hmm. of like oh i am i've got my deflector shields on mm-hmm. and now i can try i'm going to try and jump over the snowcat as it's going but you know or whatever or go and and i don't know if it's the, the same with a bike but i mm-hmm. it's one of the things i enjoy kind of most about riding with joe is when mm-hmm. joe's riding without a helmet and how other people react yeah like pointing at his helmet or actually saying something like going out of their way to, you know, tell him he should be a better example, you know, set a better example. He should wear a helmet. This the same. I, I was a goofball as a kid mm-hmm. and rode with uh, one of the caps. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. saw, I saw breaking away and I'm like, I got this. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> which is, which is fine because it's. My parents were just like, all right, whatever. Good luck. <laughs> and, and I, <laughs> Have fun and out I there. grew up, you know, riding a skateboard and, mm-hmm. And riding a bike, all that stuff without a helmet. Like it was in the era of, you know, the mm-hmm. first fucking white and, you know, bell helmet for bicycles with like the red webbing on it or whatever. Like that happened in my youth. And it never occurred. And even in the mountains, I mean, it took a bunch, a long time. I never wore a helmet in the mountains for a long time. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it you go to Fran- you go to France and you're running around the Alps and other dudes are wearing headbands. I mean, shit, you know, like I've jumped with a lot like, of... Uh, Jumpers from, I'm trying to think, uh, Lazouche. Yeah. And showed up at the exit point, and those guys are uh, sunglasses and smoking. Yeah, t- totally. And like, all right, we're going. Like, yeah. There he goes. Like, <laughs> oh, good. well, um, I was going to wait for a second and see what the weather was like, but sure, bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, it's, well, people just, it's, so a, it's a cultural thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and this go and <clears throat> like the, the, and the relationship with risk then is, 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 is also, um, 
there, there's a cultural piece to it and a geographic piece to it. Yes. Like going to mm. going to France and realizing like, oh, it's totally normal to solo here. And, you know, being in the Alps. And so that's, and, and that was part of it. And, you know, something that I participated in. But, the, and then the relationship with Risk Ride, like, oh, I'm going climbing with a, with a, you know, with Alan Gersen or with Chuki or some, one of those guys. And I, you know, we'd be using the rope and I'd get up there and there's like one piece at the blay anchor. And I'm like, I'd rather be soloing than have the appearance of safety here with mm-hmm. this one piece. If you're gonna put a fucking anchor in, make it, you know, for real. Make it for real. Let's let's not let's not go all the way to the ground tied together. No marking like bomber. I mean, it might have been, you know, <laughs> no. like a number six wired nut, whatever, yeah. and beautiful Chamonix granite. Great, yeah, it might have been bomber, but that relationship with risk is totally is different, and and the way that those guys drove, and the way that those guys, you know, handled every sort of encounter that they had with risk. And I decided at a certain point was like, okay, there's hundreds and hundreds of years of war here. No men live past the age of like 25 or whatever. And so they know they're, and so my outside American perspective was like, oh, they're just fulfilling what has become the biological imperative by, you know, driving like this by, I mean, cause the, you know, when a Scofier, you know, got all smashed up in his, in his car, it's because there was, you know, it was him and it was Eric Bellan, it was Chucky. It was, I mean, the, the, all those guys, if they ever had to go to Grenoble for work, living in Chamonix, you come back through this canyon outside of Alberville mm-hmm. and it was the, who had the record, you know, in the canyon. Oh God. And, and those guys, and they would drive like fucking mad people. They still and, do. And, you know, pass, uh, you know, on on corners because yeah, cause, In, into oncoming traffic. You know, yeah, because why not <laughs> on two lane road? I'll be I'll be fast enough. You one and a half lane road. Um, yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> uh, or, but the relationship with risk that they had was complete. Was they were willing to do things that I found intolerable, um, and but I was doing stuff that other people found, you know, that yeah. from my cultural background was intolerable. So it was like. Okay, you, you and and it's and it's shocking to me the, the 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 psychological plasticity that we have for getting used to stuff like that. Oh yeah, like, I mean, what I, I was afraid of heights as a kid, afraid of heights. And Still, I don't. <laughs> you're up on the high thing. You want to get down to the ground as fast no. as you can, so you just jump. What the fuck, man? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't want to be up here anymore. Yeah, I'm, I'm too afraid. I'm too afraid to be uh, up here. So I I tell people I'm always afraid. Right. Oh yeah. I always have fear, but I don't have any anxiety anymore. There's none. Mm. And I say, and I've taught people how to jump, and I, I tell them like, anxiety is a useless emotion. That is why. Yes. That, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's You're impending be anxious about doom, something. Right? It is. Yeah. Why? Why? Why is that there? Yeah. Also, oh, Cicero wrote about you know. In God, I always mention some fucking Greek philosopher. Greek philosopher. I know. I'll apologize now, but one of his <laughs> like really famous quotes is like our. Our, our most of our pain is actually worrying about our future pain. Yeah. Like in that describes anxiety perfectly. We're sitting here postulating about the future. Just, yeah, exactly. Just do the thing and, right now. And, and that's it will the be thing, the present. That's you know, like, like, well, that's kind of the thing that I wrote down in the access, like between these things, like it's an access to the moment. Like when you take security away, you have access to the present moment because yeah. you have to pay attention. Yeah. And one of the, Maybe the side effects of trying to fucking nerf the world for society, who knows why, we're all cushy enough, 
like when we <laughs> our fat stomachs hit the cement, it's going to be okay because you're 66% body fat by now or whatever the thing is. That, You'll just jiggle a little. <laughs> yeah, just bubble, bubble, That with, with security, we don't have to pay attention to the moment. Like I don't... I don't have to think about my driving yeah. because my car is the safest in America and they tested it and I'm going to be just fine if I get hit. And little alarms go off when like there's someone in my blind spot or, or it I'm buzzes and won't let me change lanes exact, as fast as I want to. Exactly. And this is oh. kind of the funny thing. <sighs> Had a rental like that. That I noticed I was I used to drive like crazy until I actually got access to a racetrack and started <laughs> racing, you know, as a profession. When you deal with like very high speeds and you learn how vulnerable you are with like specks of dust that are on the road, yeah. it calms your normal day-to-day -day driving down immensely. Like, so we would go out in a corner that we would have to hit sideways at 82 miles an hour for an entry speed. And we would go take heat guns, propane heat guns and heat the track to make sure it was sticky enough, dust it, make sure there was no water because any kind of thing, you're done. Oh, yeah. Because the level of risk at that speed is just like any wrong maneuver or anything, you're gonna, and you're not going to crash and die. You'll probably just spin out into the dirt, but you'll cause a lot of damage. If you drive like that on the road, there's no telling who sprayed oil somewhere or some fluid on the road. And people are taking corners on the, you know, a, a freeway off ramp, like double the speed that's yeah. recommended. And you're like, that's such a stupid risk, but they're under, you know, there's a guardrail there. So there's safety. I have my seatbelt on, there's safety, there's airbag, and I have these cool new tires and wheels and I have a sports car or whatever. Or I've seen it a lot, um, not just with driving around, but almost everything, which is a habituation of an action without a consequence resulting from performing it poorly mm -hmm. results in them continuing the habit. Yes. You know, if, and, if and, that guy keeps taking that turn like that, yeah. well, I can buy my way shit. into that world where I think like high performance is um, a subsection of the car that I could afford, right? Yeah. Like, a, oh, cool, I bought a hundred thousand dollars sports car, therefore I can take the corner like this. Yeah, that's not the real buy-in. The real buy-in is time on a track. I drive, time. I, I drive an M1, so I can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you don't, <laughs> you, and you can't. <laughs> anyway. I mean, and 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 therein is another sort of thing. Like, if we're talking about like. The, these experiences, you have to have a certain level of skill to, to yes. be in, to, to have the experience, but to get to the geographic location or whatever. Um, but the shortcut in, you know, consumer society is, oh, if I have this gear, then I can do the thing. Yeah. Where ultimately, you know, it's, you're, I, I mean, if you just look at, uh, generally anybody who's doing anything at a really high level, um, they're not, gear nazis they're they're not like gear queers they're not like they're they're trying to they, they might have that one piece that's like this is good and i needed that mm -hmm. yes but i don't need all of the vats but they don't yeah exactly they, they, they don't have all of the stuff they don't they don't they didn't you know get the costume to look like they are capable yeah they're not playing and, dress up and and to me it was always i mean for certainly in, in climbing into the mountains it's just like yeah, I'm going to have the, the most advanced technology possible, but I'm also going to take as little of it as possible. Like, I want to make this as fair as possible. I want to do, I mean, the whole thing was to yeah. do more with less. Mm -hmm. And because then that puts more on me, more responsibility on me, which is exactly, I think, what most people want to avoid is being responsible or or having to go through, like, oh, wait, it's going to take me 10,000 hours? Yeah. Fuck that. No, like, I, I, mm. I, I've been doing that with my physicality, like trying 
trying to do as much as I can with as little as possible. Mm. Like, and I've told people this, like, oh, you know what? How do you stay motivated or how do you steep, keep doing your thing? I'm like, well, I, how fucking hard is it to get on a damn bike for an hour every fucking day? Yeah. Like, are you joking me? Like, where you're talking for? Can like, you not carve out? Like, exact? No, I really am. It's <laughs> it's really like, hard for them. I know it is. Yeah. But f- but when they're presented with somebody looking mm-hmm. at them, like, is this a joke? Mm-hmm. Carve it out. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, but but the, you but, have an hour. But, well, the, it, but the question is like, uh, let me flip that around. It's like, uh, how are you so demotivated? Yeah. Like, how are you so unmotivated? Like, what is it? What what happened to you? Where did the breakdown happen? Yeah. Because somewhere, there was a point in your life, probably, maybe. I don't know. Maybe with video games now, it's, you know, kids don't go outside or, you know, whatever. I'm just an old curmudgeon, like, saying stupid shit. But Get off my lawn. (laughs) Not not yet. I don't have a lawn anymore. (laughs) I I did away with that. Get away from from my bicycle? Yeah. But but, but but how do you stay motivated? And you're just like, well, um, well, I don't even, like, it's. It, 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 like that word didn't really get in my head. It's not like there's I not an need. option. Like I've been doing this. Like yeah, it's forever. I just this watch Tony my Robbins this, this every day. I, do. I just listen to his tapes on my way to work. Okay, stay motivated. Oh, that's why there's a the, uh, a, what a, is, a bouncy thing. The there. biggest. <laughs> no, I mean, the funniest thing to me about like this whole people tr- freaking. I don't out. know where that trampoline came from, man. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> that, was trying to move their limp. There. <laughs> they moved their limp around. Thanks, Vince, shit. for that. Shout out to Vince for sending us a fucking trampoline that we now have to store. <laughs> I, it immediately became a thing to throw balls against to try to hit your friend with. But uh, <laughs> you should mount that sideways on the wall. <laughs> yeah, please do yes. that. We might get up to that. The, that the, the funniest people. part of this whole thing about watching people you know especially the commentary that surrounds somebody dying doing an extreme extreme sport like it's always a factor of like well of course they they were you know playing a stupid game and they lost like the odds were against them to begin with there's this perception that that's what the the deal is and it's usually some armchair warrior whatever the funniest part about that is most people will die from some obesity related disease like that's the risk you you not doing anything is the riskiest that you being well, sedentary is the most risky behavior you could ever take part in as a human being if we're all not getting out of this alive then if i'm doing as much as i'm doing by this age and you're sitting there eating cheetos and going to your office who's making out better uh, we're all fucking terminal if i fuck this up at 50 like <laughs> Or forty or thirty-two, okay. you will have had a good run, mm-hmm. as they say. Not even a good run, but fuck it, that was great. Yeah, I had a good time. Mm. Yeah, you know, and you'll. And why are you gripping your you, lazy the, boy, condemning people doing risky things? <laughs> you just have a shitty elderly experience anyway. Yeah. You're overweight. You've never seen a different country, let alone stepped on the edge of a mountain. And you're the one complaining about think about your contribution to global warming when they cremate your fat ass (laughs) because it's all methane. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And and beyond that, like, what have you learned about yourself? I mean, you stick somebody in an environment where they have to learn something about themselves Mm -hmm. physically, say that will change your personality and do it over (laughs) and over and over again. That's a big deal. And, you know, if you don't get to do that, where what? why are you there breathing that air 
I I always I, and I I wrote about this the other day because we posted on our um, the space site and I kind of did like a New Year's deal. Yeah, did you read it? So oh, philosophical. Okay. Oh, okay. So yeah. well, oh, yeah, I, of course I did. Okay. <laughs> See what garbage I'm putting out. <laughs> no, <laughs> sure no put the it's actually not. <clears throat> I, I I really wanted to drive that point, like what you experience and how you're able to learn is the thing like yeah. the the end and that's very zen ish and it's very in the moment ish but it, like if you don't keep remembering that like if you think you have all the answers what the fuck are you still doing alive because it's all miserable from here on out if you think that you're yeah. correct or you think that you made the the best choices or that you're all set well no no, no. The, the reason i'm still here is because because Pretty soon it'll be my right to impose all of my great knowledge on others. <laughs> I was like, I'm here to teach other people, you know, what's up I, or whatever. I, I mean, it's humbling to just learn something. It was, I mean, the the diving thing is a good example. I mean, you, you mentioned it uh, before we started recording. Is like uh, how fucking humbling it is to learn how to hold your breath on dry land, let alone go down and let the ocean consume you while you try to hold your breath. And I'll relate a story that I had with a friend of mine. Um, we were jumping. Um, actually, do you know Jeff Shapiro? He was there jumping uh, ice climber, mm-hmm. Montana. But um, another guy was there and he also free dives. <clears throat> and uh, I, I joked with him. I'm like, yeah, you know, like some people, cause he said there was like a, a guy that he surfs, he surfs up in Santa Cruz and there's a dude who lives in the area. It's kind of an asshole. He's rich and has the costume. Okay. Kind of a prick. And I'm like, yeah, man, I don't know. Like I had like a near drowning and that kind of like tuned me up a little bit. I don't know. Maybe everybody just needs to have like a near drowning. Like the water is a real good teacher. Mm. I mean, I think everything, (laughs) the natural environment in that way, you put yourself in the right spot. It can be a, it's a very good teacher. An ingredient that I have here, mother nature. Mother nature. (laughs) That's for real. (laughs) Yeah. She's a fucking tiger mama <laughs> and, and, the th- and the thing is it's just it's when you have those confrontations with you know yourself and your own mortality that's when you start to realize like oh am i you know am i fiery or am i faint am i you know <laughs> yeah. am, I, am i who i think i am and i th- honestly believe those confrontations uh are a necessary part of living because because otherwise we can start believing our own bullshit a little too easily and most people do. Uh, yes. We wouldn't be here talking smack about you fuckers <laughs> if you didn't. <laughs> what is your guys' joke? All 10 of them? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, that, Shit, well, that? now there's 11 because we didn't know you listened. <laughs> the, yeah, right. Now there's 11. And Vince is 12. Uh, okay. Yeah, so our 12th listener sent us a trampoline. <laughs> the, there was a, there's a book called Deep that, like uh, re- it was a free diving thing. And it was kind of funny because you mentioned that guy having the kit and he, he jokes about it, the author, because he, he kind of gets interested, flies out to Japan to kind of like swim with the Ama, uh-huh. which are these 70 year old ladies that are diving down a hundred feet over and over to get, are those the pearl divers? Yeah. Yeah. A pearl divers and, and they'll yeah, spearfish yeah. and they'll do, kind of do whatever. Mm-hmm. And this is like a 500 year old tradition for the Japanese women of this area. And he shows up with this like $1,200 free diving suit. They literally just get naked as 70 year old ladies and just like have their baskets that they weave themselves. And they're laughing at him, making fun of him. Oh, and that's it was, cute. As yeah. you would. Yeah. And it was it, like he had all this gear and he goes out to have this experience and he can't do it. 
And he realizes all of his gear is insulating him from his experience <laughs> or from his potential experience. Well, because if the experience was to have a, something in common with the people doing it, all that gear separated him from that organic yeah. experience. Like they can't connect with him because he looks like a fucking alien. Well, and sometimes the experience that mo the thing that you go to do isn't really what you're learning from, mm. you know, like what, where I'm at with things that I can do physically is from a decade, a near decade in the teams. And then two more years post learning about myself. Mm. That's what, that's what gets me to where I go. And I've learned more from having to train mm -hmm. alone often than almost any individual pinpoint experience. And how, do, how does your physical training map up with these experiences you want to have? Like what kind of things do you put together in order to accentuate that? So I've, I've pretty much come to grips with knowing what, what I'm good at and also what I'm trying to do. And that I, I constantly say it and it's, it's a quip that I like to throw out there, which is be an asset, not a liability. Oh. We have and something. Um, <laughs> say something very similar. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's actually come to fruition recently. I was in Moab and um, somebody had a very, very bad high ankle and mid ankle twist, like an, enough where it, had they broken it, it would have been a better scenario. Okay. Ooh. It was just a huge amount of pain and uh, she was having a hard time dealing with it. And uh, that was one of those moments where there was three other people there and I'm like, take her gear. I'm going to fucking carry her. It's a mile back to the car. No big deal. Okay. And that's not, that's not like the pat on the back or whatever. That's, I want, this is exactly why I do things that I do. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm going to go do stuff where there's a huge, thank God she was height weight appropriate. <laughs> thank God she weighed 125 pounds. Yeah, that was exactly. fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> if I, if my other buddy who weighs 205, we would have been out there a little longer, but I still could have carried him mm -hmm. yeah. in parts. And the reality is I want to do the thing, right? And if I'm going to do the thing, I'm going to be an asset during the thing for myself or somebody else. And to, to sort of take responsibility for, um, yeah, a lot of the potential things are around the activity and in the environments within which you are doing them. Like, yeah, like you said, okay, I bring a medical kit. Generally. Oh yeah. No, no. I, uh, I always bring a I bring, med kit. I always bring a tourniquet. Yeah. Uh, I usually have a couple radios, GPS, jumping. Yeah. Well, the funny thing, like when I was down in Moab and mm -hmm. it was during that turkey boogie thing and yeah. you, and we had communicated and you said, oh, that's my cell number. This is like this and I'll be on CB channel, you know, yeah. so-and-so. And I was just like, oh yeah, you get out to Mineral Bottom. There's no cell there's no service. service. <laughs> there's no service. So we're on CB fucking radios, yeah. which is hilarious yeah. in this day and age. Like it's a we, thing. It's a, yeah. Yeah. And you'd be surprised yeah. how many people don't carry stuff. Yeah. Or anything. Or but they look not, at me and they go, I'm what's, not surprised what's that thing? Yeah. I'm like, I, well, it's for you. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. For later. Yeah, for later. When... You know, and, and doing stuff like like hop, hopping on the bike, right? Mm -hmm. And putting out that effort for, for that amount of time, whatever it may be. But for me, it's that specific kind of effort Yeah, is a thing that I want to do all the time so that when I get to the spot where we are jumping or when I get to the spot where we are climbing or when when I get to the spot where we're going to go take pictures, it doesn't matter what it is. Like I want to be at a hundred percent, you know, I'm, I'm not going to pre fatigue because I have no fucking clue what it takes to get there. Hmm. Yeah. I want to be not fatigued at all. And fitness, you know, one of the 
the, the big things for us in the mountains was always, you know, control what you can control because there's enough uncontrollable stuff that you are voluntarily sort of confronting or being involved with that you, that if, that if, that you're stupid, if you don't do the physical conditioning part, if you don't have, you know, the knowledge of how to take care of yourself and how to, you know, all of that stuff in that situation. It, it's like it's, jumping in the ocean while having learned how to swim once, you know, mm-hmm. the, what are you, what are you up to? Like wh- <laughs> where, where is the disconnect between seeing where you want to go and what you want to do and not being able to prepare for that? Especially now we're living in such a peculiar, interesting time in human evolution where you have the opportunity to take the time to be at your potential. Yes. It's there if you really try. And, and I, th- I think there, there's, there are some, you know, there are great advantages to being alive in this era right yeah. now because of how easy it is to learn stuff. Oh yeah. Especially mm-hmm. things like if, if, you know, let's just go back to the early eighties and like, yeah. okay, how, or late, whatever for me as a climber, like how do I learn how to do this stuff? You know, where do, where do I, and, and there's, there's enough, there's enough people there, there's, there's enough communication now where, where I sometimes, yeah, for sure. the The skill learning curve is a lot steeper. Like you can you can get you can develop the actual technical capacity to do these things, um, and and faster than you used to be able to. But you, but time has not changed. And I think that's to the detriment of most of these skill dependent sports. Yes, because and I've told a lot of jumpers this that are like I I have four hundred base jumps. They've been jumping for two years. Yeah. That's really, that's, that's really cool. You know, I have, you still, I, have, I have about 700 and I've been jumping for like nine years. I'm like, look, you know what doesn't change? It's time. It's time. How many jumps I've seen, how many yep. people I've been around and how much time in the sport you have. And how much relating to different people doing, you know, pursuing the activity in different environments. Hearing stories. Hearing stories. Mm-hmm. Learning yep. from all of this, like around the campfire stuff or yep. whatever it is. And this is the, a thing for, for me and I, that I would, I, it took me, a, it took a long time to realize was that I did more climbing in two years or three years or whatever than most people did in their entire climbing careers. Yeah. I had, you know, I, I, I did, uh, let's just say, 10 years worth of climbing in two years, but I still only had two years of experience. Yeah. The fact that I was out there doing it every day didn't fucking matter as no. much as like the, the stuff that I knew. You only have two seasons. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The same thing with yeah. driving a, a car. Mm-hmm. Like you drive a race car, you could drive every fucking day for two years. And you'll still only right? have. You still have <laughs> yeah. 365 times two of driving if it was good every day. That's it. Period. Yeah. You have two years of driving experience. They're going to look at you like you're a crazy person. Yeah. And then, and you will think like, but I've done, I've done every day. I did the thing. I'd like, mm. I, I, I doubled down. I hacked my way to blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah. and, you know like I, I found all the, you know, the, the, the little, you know, the, the, the shortcuts, the, mm-hmm. the things that can, you know, compress my learning, blah, blah, blah. And then you look back after having done it for 10 years, if you fucking survive that long yeah. and, and you just go, well, Wow. <laughs> those eight years after the initial two, when I thought I knew everything, mm-hmm. you know, it's only in the last year. And there's that, some, you there's, know, that I learned that, that like hit the sweet spot. And there's some mental fortitude stuff that gets built in there. Um, 
you know, like the, like one of your guests came on and was like, do 20 hours a week for two years. <laughs> Nate. Nate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And no bullshit. Yeah. Like, and no bullshit. Like this is the buy-in. I listen to that and I'm like, yeah, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Granted, I'm an anomaly in thinking, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Like, and I immediately did the math on how much fucking time that is. Yeah. But the good, the good thing that <laughs> no those shit. numbers you know do. You want, you want to be a, you want to be that thing. Go do the thing. The, the appropriate thing. Well, maybe it's not appropriate. It, the general response to that is like, okay, then I'm not interested, which is a perfect, a perfect example <laughs> of where our culture is today of where yeah. you tell somebody the time investment and that's what dissuades them. And that's a really like, that's a switch because most people want it faster. They want the hack. They want yep. the thing. And that's where, you know, fitnessing becomes a really hard conversation because most people want the six week transformation. They want to get from A to B and we're as on, fast as possible. Yeah. Like, and, and you miss the point. Like, be, one of the hardest things is having an objective because when you reach that objective, that's where all the stuff begins. As a, if I decide that I know what the destination is, then I'm not looking for other paths. So you I have can't all learn. of these skills that you've developed in the fitness mm. world, and as I'll, I got mm. I just got to give credit to Brad mm. on this one. He's like. That doesn't mean, you know, you're a winner. That just got you a seat at the table. Yeah. You got the door like, let open for you. Yeah. You did all the work, which allowed you to, you know, know the combination to the lock on the door <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. So like you, you got in the room, mm -hmm. but, but then that's when the, that's when it starts. That's what they say for us graduating SQT. You okay. get your bird, right? And up to that point, that is the goal. Yeah. I want the Trident. You know, I want to be a team guy. They hand it over, you get to your team, and they're like, all right, cool, you're fucking new. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now it's a whole new By the evolution. way, you're going to be new for two fucking years until the next new guy shows up. <laughs> there's the trash. Make sure there's beer in the fridge. Yep. That's it. Mm. You know, and, and that's part of the process, there, and there, it should be, and it, it's part of the journeyman mentor process with that. It absolutely should be. Yeah, I, and it I, is. It I, was for us. And, 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 and in many cases, I mean, you know, I think it's still... Especially where there's, you know, deep culture like that. Yeah. You know, with, with, with good history. Um, the, it, it still is like that. Yeah. Like, you're not just going to tie in with a fucking dude you meet. Well, actually, when, this is one of those things about sport climbing that mm. always got me was like, you know, oh, you'll tie in with some dude you just met mm. at the base of the crag? Fuck no. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's too, the, A, the experience is too important for me. Single, to single climber looking to belay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking earlier about a classified ad. I yeah. think that has something to do with it. Yeah. They, <laughs> exactly. It's got a, it's a cardboard sign, like, at the crag. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, looking for one. Yeah. There was this really interesting, um, single. a mistake that I made for a really long time, and funny enough, drugs kind of helped me with it like the realization was that i would show up to have this experience and i you know i would be quote unquote humble mm -hmm. about oh i want to learn stuff but then i would try to dictate what i was going to learn and that that is the funny thing about an experience is if you think you know what you're going to learn it's impossible to actually learn like there's a paradox here where real learning yeah. comes from circumstances that you couldn't foresee, which is how we direct kind of training. Now, yeah, there's this objective. Uh, picture that, but then don't ignore all the side roads that might happen. Yeah. Because those are where all the real lessons happen from, especially with 
physical stuff. Like I didn't know I was going to get interested in X. Therefore, mm-hmm. well, now I'm going down this road and it, okay, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit longer to get to my destination, but I'm not worried about a time. It's not a six week thing. I'm worried about having an experience. I therefore, don't have to be beach ready by June <laughs> when I get time off which to is, go to the beach. Which is probably the biggest problem with superficial objectives. <laughs> Uh, is because they don't allow you to realize those really important lessons, like life lessons that come from fitness about, you know, whatever you might experience in the gym. Yeah. It, you you turn that into your lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Which which I had a friend ask me, he's like, hey, you know, can we kind of trade services? He's a tunnel coach, flies in the wind tunnel. Okay. And he's like, well, you're really fit and you seem like you have your shit together on it. I'm like, well, I mean, yeah, it's my lifestyle. So yeah, I, I mean, I guess I do like, sure. If you want to come and I'll try and help you out. And what I tried to get across to him was make this a lifestyle change. This is a habit. It's not a short term intervention. It's, 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 it's not a program. This is, I want you to get up and like, come and hang out with me and just eat like this for a while. Tell me what you eat for two weeks. Like, I don't give a shit. I'm not going to judge you. Don't fucking well, worry about it, dude. Not to you. Yeah, not to your face. Yeah. <laughs> we all talk shit after. <laughs> exactly. You know, and then it was like, and then we're just going to do these things and you're going to do these couple things every fucking day just to create a habit. Mm-hmm. Just create a fucking habit, you know, because it is going to be your life if you really want to make this a change. Yeah. But I think most people, you know, a lot of times with the, the you know, that that's not what people are searching for. It's like, I need to, you know, to do something which unfucks what I've done to myself. Yeah. With right. The, and with, with this result that is not parallel to the path I have to take, it's perpendicular. Yeah. Like you're never, you won't be there. You are you, you're going to get to this other place. Mm-hmm. You're, this is not you. That's yeah. don't compare yourself to you. Just and don't I mean, only compare yourself to yourself. Like, don't compare yourself to this other person. Don't sprain your neck looking over there at that other person yeah. all the time. I've, I've, well, <laughs> and most people think it's just a technical thing that is keeping them from what they really want for themselves. And that... If I only did X or had X skill. Right. And most of it is actually um, like, yeah, you want to develop lifestyle things. But the the one lifestyle thing that I think that most people are, are missing from any kind of category is honesty and i yeah. mean ruthless honesty like being objective <laughs> yeah, exactly. how, how shitty are you exactly just how fucking terrible am i at x and that that kind of honesty you learn by correlation of learning other things and yeah. that, that, that's a really hard thing to develop in people because some people can show up to the gym every day and some people can even track their food and some people can even know intimate things about nutrition, but none of them can put it together because they can't actually be honest about who they are and what, what drives their decisions. Yeah. That's a, that's something that, again, to bring it back to the kind of these experiences is like, um, this what's required for high risk, high skill, um, what I would call adventures into mother nature. <laughs> Yeah, uh, is a deep-seated honesty with yourself. And I think that's something that uh, Mark was really good about bringing back from the mountains as the lesson was this honesty factor that, I mean, from my standpoint, was one of the first times I ever heard about honesty having to do with physicality. Oh, yeah. And it was like, oh, how come nobody's talking about this? I think they talked about it in uh, Steep. Have you seen that movie? It's a mm. it's an extreme skiing movie. Yeah, a long um, time ago. 
It's, it's older. I, I want to say a long time ago for some yeah. reason. Y- but years and years. It's yeah. it's not current. Yeah. Um, and base jumping because now they just straight line that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> base jumping is similar. Mm. Um, you have to be exceptionally objective. People and people aren't. People aren't objective. The gear is starting to save them. The gear is uh. good enough now where you can be an asshole and sort of make it kind of. You know, you can just sort of be like, like grasping at straws and like some of them fall in your hand. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, well, I just, I just don't it's partic- a, participate in the activity with those people. It was a f- mm. uh, part of the conversation with Andy Doré, who's like, so he's a um, <clears throat> local guy, got into the speed wing thing because yeah. they didn't have to hike down and they could just, just do more up. I, I like speed uh, flying. <laughs> it, yeah. But, and, and we were talking about paragliding and, my, you know, my experiences, like I said, my first flight yeah. was in november of 1986 so under a bed sheet um, that looked like a parachute yeah apparently uh or, doubled as a ghost costume <laughs> the month before yeah <laughs> um and and he was talking about wings that you know there, there are different categories of wings like the, the higher performance mm-hmm. ones are twitchier and you need to have a lot of experience to fly this wing yep but then there's the other ones where if you let go of everything it just like writes itself and flies away it's yep. like the equivalent of like a cadillac el dorado kind of i'm guessing <laughs> is that it's just like a big ass even boat, if you like, go off road you'll be just fine you'll be just it's just smooth and um it's okay or, it's on airbags <laughs> something like that and i thought like oh my god wait you could like it has developed that far yeah where the equipment is actually um, sort of, well, it's maybe it's, it's, it's helping to encourage more part, more people to participate, which then um, I'll just say pollutes the gene pool in a way of <laughs> like, okay, the more people who are doing this, where the equipment is actually able to, you know, make up for a lack of their individual skill, then, you know, more bad shit ultimately happens it's true and you, you look at i don't know i i felt that way in a romantic way looking at uh and reading norman Clyde's writing mm-hmm. of him climbing in the sierras mm-hmm. you know he's climbing with fucking boots and he's climbing stuff now that's yeah. you know five ten and above and it's like that's shit that people wouldn't go up there now without super technical gear and the, yeah if you looked at that dude and you're like you're going up what you would think he's bananas <laughs> yeah he lost his damn mind and was going to die hmm. uh lo and behold he opened up most of the peaks out there sometimes the better gear that gets trickled down from the people that legitimately need it yeah as as for instance the dawn wall mm-hmm. like they needed that gear to climb that that face that was unclimbable yeah. in what 20 years ago what would not have happened the, the, shoe, the shoes would not... The yeah, technology allowed the best in the world to now to do their To yeah. create a scenario where their craft was I mean, when attainable. they listed off the grades for that thing, it was like an average oh, no. of 514. It's or insane. It, yeah. I, looking at it, you're just like, each each climb like is a bouldering problem that some people would take, you know, fucking yeah. months oh, yeah. to figure out. And that's... I, I mean, the funny... <laughs> and and I, I can't remember exactly how, you know, when they finally did it you know they went up on the wall and they mm-hmm. you know climbed through and then they're like oh these guys climbed you know they free climbed el cap in you know seven days or ten days or whatever the fuck it was and i was like no eight it years took, no they did it in it took forever years. <laughs> yeah it's like it was eight years ago and i think it was eight years it might have been six but it was it was a number uh, like a number of years that is 
I don't know, for most people, and, unimaginable. And the, yeah, but and the, and the first year is spent trying to fucking imagine it. Mm. Yeah. Like, that's something... Eyeballing that, the route that could maybe happen. That could maybe Hopefully. happen. That maybe I have to actually train for two years for because help, of some very uh, specific Or help stuff. develop a shoe. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I need, I need this to, to make the thing <laughs> to, possible. To, yeah. Yeah, so we're developing technology, we're de- you know, we're developing our skill, but the first piece is actually imagining it and and I think that's and it's and it's hard enough to imagine. It's like, "Ah, oh, yeah, let's go cl- climb this." Mm. Like, well, no one's ever done it. And 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 the, the the things that are on the very edge like that require a certain amount of imagination and then require like if we I go back and I think about like w- how long we were talking about the Slovak direct because mm. at the time, it was the hardest route on McKinley. It had been climbed in 1986. It took 11 days, and it was three dudes and a couple thousand feet of fixed rope, and then three other dudes going up another route to meet them on top, and like this and that. And so, like, okay, how can we, what is the modern way, you know, even in 94, we were, you know, talking about it. Like, okay, how is that going to be possible? Well, we need to we need to do this for, you know, with the, the there are logical experiences that have to happen in a certain order mm. to be able to imagine doing that thing in a single push. Yeah, and sometimes it takes, sometimes the, the training that goes on, the lifestyle that goes on requires a huge amount of suffering. Mm-hmm. You just need to be able to understand that you're going to suffer and not even worry about the fact that that's a, a thing. Yeah. If it doesn't, right. well, it's I guess probably not worth doing, right? Probably not. Like the, the suffering goes hand in hand. Like when you look at what Tommy was doing on the Don Wall, even the first year he was out there in the winter fucking yeah. bivvying off some yeah. canopy bullshit thing for months at a time. Like yeah. he, like uh, rappelling down, climbing back up, rappel- like just trying to find different routes in the middle of a winter dealing with, I guess, his divorce at the time or whatever. So you're talking about an... Uh, probably the catalyst is an enormous amount of emotional suffering that he's going through is the catalyst for trying to figure out this physical suffering fest, which is, would it have never happened if he would have never separated? Probably not. Like happiness sometimes is complacency. Oh, a lot of good roots got done. <laughs> By fueled, angry people. Fueled, yeah, angry, depressed, you know, yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just remember like, yeah, um, Barry, I think he talked about uh, in the podcast with the Afterglow guy, he talked about mm. going up on Kusum Kangaroo, you know, and getting, you know, by himself. Mm-hmm. And he had a totally different experience. Like I sold that route either the, like the later that same year or one year after he did. And he went up and, you know, he was in some emotional drama about, I think, I think it was uh, to do with his, his divorce. Um, first one. And, uh, you know, g- going up there searching, you know, in a way. And he, I think it took him three days or something. And, and my experience was less. It was nine hours round trip. Um, <laughs> so I had a completely different thing. Slight like, difference. Slight, but, but he got what he was looking for. He mm-hmm. came down and said, like, yeah, nothing got resolved in those three days other than the fact that I got altitude sick and really fucking scared. Um, <laughs> I'm really Muggs, sure it was 72 hours. <laughs> yeah. And Mug said something too about going up on the North face of the Iger to, mm. you know, solve some emotional shit and like came down like, no, nah, didn't work. <laughs> I think the only time I free soloed was after like a breakup. Yeah. When it was going up, you know, the, what was it? Schoolroom West. Just only like five, nine or something. There's maybe one five ten pitch in there, but for the mo- it was just me by myself, and that was it. It was just there's something about 
physical effort that allows clarity like, with emotions. Yeah, but if you, but and I think it has it also has to do with with the the presence of risk in helping establish the hierarchy of things that are important in your head. Like, I really want to survive right now. I don't give a fuck about... <laughs> I didn't care yeah, before, yeah. but now that I don't have a rope, I really care. <laughs> I really, really care, and that puts that thing in perspective. Or like, yeah. for me, doing some of these things that are endurance-based or yeah. distance or just painful, I, I, I'm getting to the point where I enjoy the suffering because I know that I won't suffer as much later, probably, hopefully. Yeah. I like it. I like the process. It's a good reminder seeing that I signed up for the crusher and the tusher last night. <laughs> like, yes. Suffer now. Well, I mean, I'm, so you don't suffer I'm doing the baton death march in March oh. for the second time. Nice. After finding out how stupid that was the first time, I'm like, never again. Never again. Three months then, later, so, I'm like, I think I could do better. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's some <laughs> kind of amnesia. See, now we know uh, you're one of us. Yeah. <laughs> God. It's, yeah, short memory <laughs> combined with foreshortening is the key to all good alpine climbers. Okay. Because like, um, you forgot how bad the last one was, and then you look up at the thing, and it, and it looks totally reasonable because you're mm -hmm. standing below it, and it's yeah. like that picture I posted the other day of Jeff going up to the base mm -hmm. of the South Pillar of Nipsey, and you look up, and you could see the summit of Nipsey with the you know, the snow plume going off the top. It's not that far away. It's not. It's a mere 9,000 vertical feet up there. It just looks like you could just reach out and touch it. And if that's 9,000 feet, that Serac in the middle is fucking huge. <laughs> we need to not be here. But anyway, <laughs> that's how I felt uh, in my buddy's place uh, in Chamonix looking up at the Drew. I'm like, oh, it's right there. Yeah. Look how easy that is. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> so that's been so. <laughs> that's been jumped. Yeah. Oh, yeah. really? A lot, yeah. a lot. A lot, like, a lot. Every, yeah. If it's bigger than 400 feet yeah, to the fine. bottom in Chamonix, it's, it's been, been jumped. It's been jumped, yeah. If, it's a, if, it, if you can get to it. But the thing is, so when, when yeah. Dominique Glez, when he jumped the West Face, um, it, it's basic, the angle mm. is basically that that matches what you could track. That's at a, the, I've at heard the time. that. Basically, you're sort of, <laughs> you know, your feet are consistently the it, same it distance. It grows as you leave. Yeah. Yeah, and there's probably other stuff. I mean, Bruno Gooby, you know, well, he base jumped onto the top of it. I mean, he base jumped. He jumped out of a helicopter, landed uh, yeah. on top, rappelled down to the niche, which is that snowfield on North Face, snowboarded that, and then popped a paraglider at the bottom of that. And That's flew, really cool. Flew down to town. Uh, it, it's pretty. You can see the the the, the actual the landing mm. on the on top. So it's in the winter, um, and the landing on the top is you can find that you you can find the little thing of you know. Bruno Gooby, Ledru, whatever. Um, but he basically, you know, he hits this. And they, the guides, Jean Afanasiev was up there. I think Michelle Aritzi, some other guys um, to, to help sort of, you know, film and do safety as if there is any fucking safety in this scenario at all. Um, <laughs> but they had established like a few. Like yeah, some, we have some safety climbers. They're some, there to make sure they know where the body is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Late, I, think, later. I think I saw it go that way. Yeah. Um, I bounced uh, off something. But... <laughs> like, it, it, it's not a summit you can land on nicely and it, there was snow yeah. and they had established like a perimeter of some fixed ropes down below so that if you like were shooting off the edge you might be able to you know come to your senses and grab something and you see him land on top and you're like oh that would have been enough I, my trousers would have been full right then <laughs> and if I didn't have a spare set of underwear I'd go home right. <laughs> but he kept I mean it's and it's there are moments that I've had working in the teams and stuff that we've done or base jumping where I, I enjoy that amount of mental clarity. And yeah. right now 
that is required of that to avoid or mitigate the possible consequences. Hmm. So this is something that I talked with Andy Stumpf a little bit about is, um, and, and it's something that, that uh, I, I had recognized sort of, because you go climbing and it's, I mean, even, you know, high level alpine climbing, whatever you, 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 it's happening. Things are developing at a slow enough rate that I can be introspective in the moment. I can, and, um, and so I had asked, uh, and a lot of base jumpers that I had talked to in that era were, you know, guys who were always, you know, it was so much and so fast at the time that it was going, that it was happening that, um, that the only appreciation of it could happen afterwards. Yeah. Right. That it's sort of, that it's, that it's maybe it's okay. You look at the video afterwards and that would be a more modern era, but, um, but, but, and then Andy said, no, 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 because you adapt ultimately that, that your few seconds of, yep. Of, you know, tracking or whatever, you know, or up to, however long with a wingsuit or something. But, but, uh, he said that, that everything, um, that that is happening in his brain as slowly as stuff would happen for me in the mountains because of, again, of the psychological plasticity. No, I, I, I I agree. Okay. You know, initially it's overload. Oh, I imagine exceptional overload. No, I can't imagine actually. And, and now (laughs) God, it, it does. It, it's weird that, that flow state that you get into, mm-hmm. you are absorbing everything at a rate that you can deal with and packetize and yeah. your brain can do all the things without having to think about doing them mm-hmm. and enjoy being right there, having it in front of you and performing in the moment and not having to be anxious because you're shitty at the skill. Mm. That's the best description of that that I've heard. I, I f- another friend um, talked about stuff happening at such high rates of speed. I mean, and even Paul Becker mentioned it on mm-hmm. the motorcycle that when you're going at these high rates of speed that, you know, the, the sort of perceptual experience that you have related to time completely changes oh it's the dilation that occurs isn't describable to somebody that hasn't been involved in an activity like that yeah where there is such a small margin if you haven't done something like race a car or motorcycle Mm -hmm. or downhill skied in an area where the falling option is not to fall Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> then I can't relate to you what kind of experience that is. Yeah, there's not our language fails. It, it is. It does completely. It, it, and you can't watch a video because you watch a video and you're like, "Holy shit!" Hmm. Because you're not seeing what I'm experiencing. Right. Right. You. You're. You're not hearing the wind at 120 miles an hour. You're not feeling the temperature changes. You're not experiencing beforehand where I'm just like, you know, sitting there trying to squeeze my hands or touch my pilot chute. And like, all right, this is, this is, I'm about to go do, I'm about to go. Okay. Is it good? Is it good? 
And then you go and everything fucking changes. Yeah. Like immediate calm clarity. And there is a, there's something that I sort of encountered recently. And this is, you know, via social media and that sort of thing. Cause, um, uh, after I was in Onion Creek and I'd kind of crossed paths with Andy and that crew and sort of follow a little bit on social media. And I'm just like the casual nature with which people are chucking themselves off of cliffs these days is not like it, it, I, it just didn't feel in the early nineties when I was around that stuff. Um, the the, the 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 cavalier nature was completely different. Like it, that didn't exist. And in I a think, way. and I think that um, it's because of how easy it is to get into it. And okay. with the nerfing of the world, they just assume it'll be okay. And so there's a there's a high there's a very high turnover with uh, base jumpers, and and not due to fatalities necessarily, but just just observance of a fatality. Okay. Or a friend of theirs gets fucked up. Yeah. Or they realize that it actually is a fatally dangerous sport <laughs> that it's not just you know <laughs who jumping thought, off the like, bridge oh, in twin falls oh wait whatever. a second like holy shit 30 people died 30 fucking jumpers died last year hmm. yeah. in a sport that ostensibly not guaranteed has, safety no yeah. not even remotely and if you think you are you're an asshole and i don't want to be around you yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then there's also like a, a little bit of you know the like get, the longer you have been in it or depending on the background that you come from the psychological tolerance of you know yeah nobody wants to see anybody burn in no but no but yeah. if like being in the mountains and having come from that experience and being around dead people and seeing people get dead um and that sort of thing i remember there was a one uh one of the uh, original sort of paragliding national competitions that would, would go down in Telluride and Bill Belcourt was down there and Todd Bibbler, um, Dave Bridges was still alive at the time. And, um, and they were flying and there was some guy before and the, like the window hadn't opened for takeoff yet. So all the competitors are at the, at the, at the launch zone. And then there was a guy who wasn't competing, um, who was doing like some weird you know, close to the ground flying, you know, stupid circus <clears throat> tricks like yeah. near the LZ and then fucking like, Burned in, burned in, right in front of everyone. That's what you need. Um, Reminder. It, as a, and and so all of the guys. So the competition went on. Yeah, they came. They got the body. You know, the whole thing. And they're like, yeah, competition postponed for you know a couple hours, whatever. Okay, the window opens. So who won that year? It's Bibbler. It's Bill. It's Bridges. It's all the dudes who'd been in the mountains and been around it a bunch. <laughs> like the psychological thought is like, oh wow, that was a really shitty sound. That guy's dead you know, or whatever. And then all, a bunch of people who came from flying yeah. didn't come from alpine climbing. Mm. Um, they're just like, okay, pack the tent. We're going fucking home. Cause this is, this is they, because they got the, the dose of mortality like in their face um, when maybe they hadn't had it before because they're the experience that the experiences that they had prior to starting paragliding were of a different nature. They were softer. They were softer. Yeah. It, it was, a, it was a softer introduction to that sport that can be as dangerous and yeah <laughs> with the fitness stuff it can be similar people don't want to fail and they don't want to experience failure so if they have their hand held the whole time and then all of a sudden they go somewhere where they don't and there is failure or a consequence mm. there's an extreme reaction to it i don't think and this this is a blanket <laughs> statement and i might be wrong but i don't think there's anything good that comes from guarantees whether it's a paycheck or a landing from a flight. Yeah, like that, nope. if you were guaranteed, you're complacent. Like, right? And, and there's, so, you can't be in the moment because you're not, you're guaranteed whatever 
net is there. Therefore, you are unable to apply what I would describe, and I forgot the guy who came up with this term, but the the path from unconscious incompetence to unconscious competence is a vast jump. But if you can make that jump, you can experience something. And that yeah. is never guaranteed. And I, I heard it. I don't remember where I heard it, but I've related my response to some people, which is, what if you were guaranteed the ability to do whatever you wanted to do and have no consequence? I'm like, well, that would be a fucking terrible life. It would ruin it, right? I, would, I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't do anything. Right. I'd be sitting on my ass. Like, what? what is... What is base jumping without the possibility of a consequence that I'm mitigating? It's a selfish control thing, but what is skiing without consequence? What is, what is any of it? Do you really want to just be here when everything's assured? Yeah. Well, I, I'll just cross the road with, you know, I'm not going to get hit. Why? Because that's how it is. Yeah. Because I haven't been hit yet. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, it seems like immortality would be the worst hell. It would for be humans. a bane. And most people don't realize that. Yeah. Like they, they, life is important because there's this fine edge that you can ride it and experience a life. Mm -hmm. But if life goes on forever or it's guaranteed, then there's no edge there and therefore there's no appreciation either. Yeah. Should I cancel this conference call um, altogether? I postponed it to 3.15 and now it's... I, I think, um, so you're you're moving here, right, Trevor? Yeah. So let's, uh, we have plenty to talk about. Oh yeah. Um. Let's get him back in here and let's conclude this day because okay. I think that's a good, a good introduction to Trevor. <laughs> so consequences are required. Yes. In everything. In everything. To, in order learn. to enjoy life to the fullest. And learn. And what a positive podcast we just accomplished. Wait, wait, wait. Let me, let me bring it down. Oh, okay. Don't nerf your body. Unless you want to jiggle. Unless you want to jiggle when you hit the ground. Exactly. That's that's what I'm my takeaway from this is like is like the illusion of safety is like is like covering myself in jiggle. I, I, my ego so my ego is totally fine falling. My ego is not okay jiggling upon landing. Yeah. There's an there's well you don't really jiggle. I mean when they pick you up again. So there was a um Yukio Mishima had a whole thing. He, he thought that, like, you know, part part of his quest, you know, chasing of aesthetics was because he thought that it was important for his body to look a certain way in its confrontation with death. I like that. As opposed to just like, like, I want to be, I want to fucking wrestle that motherfucker. And if people don't think <laughs> that's a little bit. I'm going to look damn good when I'm drowning. Exactly. <laughs> See, people might look at that, but that's like, that's a weird thing. But our funeral parlors do that same exact thing. It's just with makeup as opposed and to the, And hard the Sunday work. best, which right. is, we came yeah. up before. Yeah. The presentation towards death is culturally important. It's just, we've culturally removed it as a thought process. It's now our family's thought process to present us towards death and we should present ourselves towards death yes fucking hey go mishima <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'm not about to stick a fucking short sword in my gut but respect <laughs> on, on live television yeah, yeah that was good that was good um thank you yeah more to come 
I, sure. Yeah, I, 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 I believe so, and I certainly hope so. I would like that. Yeah, nice. yeah, me too. Thank you for making Maybe the venture darker. <laughs> well, we I mean, this can. is a midday podcast, and usually they don't There's get no dark. There's no flowing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It has happened once or twice in the past, but yeah, for sure. Ha, cool. Thanks. Perfect. And uh, yeah. thank you guys. Appreciate. We'll it. see you soon. Thanks.